Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Okay, so welcome back, everyone, to the Explaining History podcast. I am thrilled today to be joined by Chad Williams, who is uh, the Samuel J. Augusta Spector Professor of History and African-American Studies at Brandeis University, um, a a, a published author and who has written in a variety of periodicals, journals, and has um being a kind of well at, at the forefront i think of, of writing about Du Bois for for for, for some time um and our conversation today is the a, a discussion about his latest book the wounded world which um is really about the kind of the complex and and quite um painful relationship that Du Bois had um with the first world war for those of you that aren't familiar with W.E.B. Du Bois, perhaps uh, the place to begin is to talk about who he was. So firstly, Chad, w- welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you. Yeah, thank you for having me. OK, and perhaps we can start off by talking a little bit about who Du Bois was and, and what his sort of significance is. Du Bois is arguably the greatest black intellectual scholar in American history. Uh, he is a truly singular figure, no one like him, lived a truly remarkable life. He lived 95 years. Uh, He was born in Great Barrington, Massachusetts in 1868, um, just a few years after the end of the Civil War, during the beginnings of Reconstruction. He died in Accra, Ghana um, on August 27th, 1963, literally the day before the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom, where Martin Luther King Jr. gave his famous I have a dream speech. So he spanned just an incredible amount of time. Yeah. And during his lifetime, he was really at the forefront of pretty much every major issue facing African-Americans and other peoples of African descent. 
Uh, he was uh, a, an accomplished scholar, uh, the first African-American to receive a PhD from Harvard University. Uh, he was a pioneer uh, in history, sociology, wrote 22 single authored books, literally hundreds of articles and essays, uh, laid the groundwork for the modern civil rights movement as, he know it, as we know it today. Mm -hmm. He was one of the co-founders of the NAACP. Um, he was really incomparable. Um, and when we think about kind of the model of the scholar activist, particularly as it relates to African-American history, uh, Du Bois is, is the template. And it's extraordinary, isn't it, that, you know, um, perhaps if you were to ask somebody about a, a 20th century intellectual, um, they might say George Orwell. Um, they, they might say... Um, Perhaps somebody like you know uh, one of the, the the Russian dissidents, somebody like kind of Sakharov or something like that. Probably Orwell, I imagine, is the the name that most people would cite. But in terms of the significance of you, you mentioned um, Du Bois as being you know the the most significant black intellectual of the twentieth century. I would arguably put him in the the, the top five to ten most significant intellectuals of the twentieth century in his his dissection yeah. of exploitation race poverty class i mean he talks about things that range in fact far beyond um the experience of of of, of african americans um and, and looks at the the kind of the the functionings of empire and capital and all these are all these other things so he lay he's he lays down a big you know, a big chunk of, of what we think of as kind of modern radical thought, uh, you know, it should be a bit of a nebulous kind of description. Yeah, and if you were a sort of a black civil rights activist in, say, 1963 or 1965 at Selma, what would your relationship have been to uh, Du Bois? Is he the person you'd have read? Is he the person you'd been paying attention to? Yeah, it's a fascinating question. It really speaks to the need to take Du Bois in the broad span of his life and to recognize how complex he was and how he evolved over time, how his thinking, how his radicalism evolved um, over time. So Du Bois in 1963 is very different than Du Bois in 1903, uh, yeah. for example, who publishes The Souls of Black Folk, that timeless book where he writes about the problem of the 20th century being the problem of the color line, one of the most prophetic statements of, of the 20th century. Um, du Bois in 1963 was effectively persona non grata in terms of the mainstream civil rights movement in the context of the Cold War. Uh, he had joined the Communist Party, kind of thumbing his nose at the United States uh, mm -hmm. government. Um, and many uh, mainstream civil rights leaders, including many of those at the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom, had distanced themselves very intentionally from Du Bois. However, there were certainly Black radicals um, who continued uh, to, to embrace uh, Du Bois, saw him as, as a hero, saw him as an intellectual uh, model, um, continued to to read uh, Du Bois, uh, including some of his most radical works uh, published in the 1950s and, and mm. early 1960s. Uh, so I think Du Bois, particularly at the end of his life, speaks to the complexity of um, the Black civil rights uh, struggle um, and how we need to think of it capaciously, how there were different ideological strands and movements uh, within uh, the larger uh, movement itself. 
Yeah, of course, and and this is this is always the case when you when you when you look at uh, a particular movement, whether it is uh, you know the the movement for Black civil rights or something else. There are these this sort of cacophony of different voices saying different things and often arguing with one another, saying, "Well, that's not the strategy. We can't compromise here." Um, it's interesting that King himself, Dr. Martin Luther King himself, sort of towards the end of his life, actually kind of took a, a not not, a, not an identical journey, but a similar kind of move to the left. You know, he began to critique, say, "Well, you know, is the is the is the treatment of African Americans really part of the functioning of American capitalism?" Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, um, was you know his life was cut short in 1968 before. Perhaps he, he he that that line of thought could have have, have continued. Um, okay. So so looking at, at at the significance of Du Bois there and where he fits within the the kind of the um, the civil rights movement. I guess a, a lot of people listening um, when they think of the civil rights movement, they think of of Martin Luther King. They think of the fifties and the sixties, but. Obviously, the the struggle for civil rights predates that considerably. What was what was Du Bois's contribution, shall we say, before the Second World War? I mean, in the kind of the interwar years, uh, and even before that. So Du Bois was one of the uh, pioneers of what we might think of as the long civil rights movement. Um, you know, starting points are always tricky. Uh, there's arguments that can be made that. The, the Black struggle for civil rights began um, during the antebellum period uh, in, in the 18th century. Um, but certainly when we think of the modern civil rights movement, we really need to think about it in the context of the late 19th century. And Du Bois was advocating uh, at a time when it was not popular, uh, when it was seen as radical to advocate for uncompromising uh, Black civil rights. He was doing so. Uh, he mm-hmm. challenged the accommodationist program of Booker T. Washington, who at the time uh, was considered the leading spokesperson uh, for the race. Uh, He established uh, the Niagara Movement, uh, Mm -hmm. which was uh, founded on an explicit platform of African-American civil rights and inclusion into the body politic. Um, And he was one of the co-founders in 1909 of the NAACP, uh, which would become uh, the leading civil rights um, organization um, in uh, throughout much of the 20th century. Uh, so Du Bois uh, was really at the, the forefront of laying the groundwork, laying the foundation for the civil rights movement as we know it today. Um, and he did much of that work in the context of the First World War, as, as I write about in my book. Well, and um, before we come to the First World War, you, you mentioned the, this uh, accommodationist movement and, and, and Booker T. Washington. Obviously, Booker T. Washington was I'm guessing probably the the um you know b- before the first world war the the more high profile of the two figures um obviously kind of his um his 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 autobiography which I think is up from slavery he it was mm-hmm. a hugely hugely successful and famous book and um how I know um Du Bois took issue with Booker T Washington um, and the, the the nature of the debate, I think I can kind of paraphrase it as Washington saying, well, black people will have to be more realistic about what they can achieve. And if they can be kind of pipe fitters and bricklayers for white people, then that's you know a good thing. And maybe things can come from that. But stop protesting and stop demanding things. You have to show that you are 
kind of good black people. Um, kind of something on those lines, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> a, a whole episode to to Booker T. Washington. Oh, um, please come back for that one, by the way. Please. <laughs> Uh, he was he was incredibly complex, just like the boys was. Uh, I kind of liken him to an onion. You have to peel back the layers of Booker T. Washington and his public persona uh, versus uh, his 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 private persona and kind of all the the work and machinations he was doing behind the scenes. Uh, he was from the South. He understood uh, the South, um, and he recognized that. It was important for African-American Southerners in particular uh, to work within the confines of a racialized Jim Crow uh, society um, and within those confines to uh, do the best uh, that they could, uh, which meant uh, acquiring property, um, uh, becoming skilled uh, laborers, uh, recognizing uh, the the realities, the harsh realities yeah. um, of their situation, uh, but also um, taking advantage um, of those realities um, in, in whatever way they could. Uh, the conflict between Booker T. Washington and Du Bois was, was certainly personal uh, on some levels, but it was also ideological. Um, it was programmatic. Uh, du Bois was an advocate of um, liberal arts, higher education uh, of African-Americans uh, becoming more uh, than just uh, industrial laborers, as Booker T. Washington advocated through the Tuskegee uh, Institute. Um, and he believed that African-Americans should indeed fight for their, their civil rights. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and that Booker T. Washington um, ultimately uh, was not fit uh, to be uh, the spokesperson to be a leader uh, for um, African Americans in the ways uh, that he catered uh, to to white Americans and particularly uh, northern white capitalists uh, in yeah. courting their financial uh, support um, and ultimately legitimizing uh, the the subjugation um, of African Americans on on a national scale. Yeah, um, and so 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 what it would be. It, great to do is is like you said to talk about uh booker t and perhaps a, 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 another time would be great because i'm i think it would be a fantastic conversation and there's so much complexity in there so coming on to the first world war um du bois was in, in europe wasn't he at the time that the, the war broke out he was it's quite a, i i from reading the book he's got a kind of europhile sort of figure really isn't he he's sort of you know, quite oh, he, he wasn't he wasn't in europe but his which um was was definitely a, an interesting decision um on du bois's part to allow uh his daughter to go to school uh in england to allow his wife to uh, accompany her um kind of speaks to du bois du bois's uh very uh, suspect skills as a father and, and a husband. Um, but he had a personal connection to the war uh, from the start, as I as I write about mm -hmm. uh, in the book. Um, and he also had a personal connection in terms of his past uh, relationships, the past time that he had spent uh, in Europe, in Germany specifically as a graduate student, um, and then uh, later in, in London and Paris uh, in, in 1900. Uh, so he definitely um, had a connection uh, to Europe, um, and uh, for the for this reason, he was genuinely taken aback uh, when the war uh, erupted because he believed deeply in 
this idea of kind of European Enlightenment civilization, mm-hmm. rationality, uh, that Europe couldn't couldn't erupt uh, into uh, the bloody civil war that it did because its cultural and intellectual um, and and political and economic ties were were so were so tight. Uh, so Du Bois was was really kind of shook to his core mm-hmm. uh, when he erupted in August of 1914. And I get the sense, uh, looking at his his, uh, his early life, uh, particularly in, in Germany and, and sort of the, his travels in Europe, that he was almost saw himself as, as kind of part of the kind of like a U- the European bourgeoisie, you know, sort of like uh, uh, the, 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 this, the, this kind of uh, generation of really kind of uh, educated refinement. And, 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 um, um, and so the First World War, it, the, I think... What happens with with um, Du Bois? You know, he he obviously um, during the war advocates for um, African Americans to fight uh, for particular reasons um, that it would uh, establish their, their them as, if I'm right in thinking, as kind of establish their credentials in in terms of citizenship and uh, as kind of valid Americans alongside everybody else. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, wherever you look in the world in kind of August of 1914 and and later on, from the the kind of the labour movements across Europe to people like Gandhi, there are people saying, yes, there are things that can be had from this war. Right. People And and so so Du Bois is is actually, what he thinks isn't wildly uncommon, I don't think, at at the time. Um, Or there were people thinking, well, Whilst we don't want to fight this war and send our young, you know, working class men or African American men or Indian men to the front line, the alternative of whoever we're talking about, the the, the bad guys winning, is so much worse. But um, when when does Du Bois first begin talking about the possible advantages of African Americans fighting in the war? Really, at the beginning um, of the war. I mean, once he kind of recovers from his initial shock, he shifts into Du Bois, the preeminent intellectual scholar um, analysis um, of of the global scene. Uh, And he writes some of the most um, insightful uh, articles and essays uh, about the origins of the war. Uh, Mm. He publishes The African Roots of War uh, in the Atlantic Monthly in 1915, Uh, Mm. one of the most brilliant essays, I would argue, of the 20th century, where he talks about how in order to understand the coming of war, we need to think about the development of modern uh, imperialism in the context of global capitalism, the exploitation um, of Africa and other peoples of African descent uh, throughout Mm -hmm. the world, how the rivalries uh, that had built up uh, in Europe uh, around this uh, kind of uh, insatiable desire for for colonies and empire and, and wealth, had led uh, to uh, the eruption of war uh, in 1914. Uh, So he's really advancing an analysis of the war and its origins that is wholly original. I mean, certainly uh, you can point to Lenin um, and and Mm -hmm. his writings in 1915, other uh, radical writers like Karl Kosky, but Du Bois was really wholly original in his analysis of the war. And quite frankly, it's, it's an interpretation of the war that historians today are, are still reckoning with in how we write about, how we think about, how we teach about uh, mm. World War. 
Oh, for sure, yeah, and and it's um, it, it's really really radical stuff for 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 the time, and um, uh, and and you mentioned I think there's kind of Lenin and Rosa Luxemburg, and there was a, a, a an English liberal um, intellectual in about 1902 called J. A. Hobson who who said mm -hmm. it's essentially sort of uh, um, war and uh, expansionism and empire and capital are all sort of tied together in this this horrible horrible mess. Uh, for which, you know, lots of people drew their 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 ideas from. Um... Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And when, um, after sort of, you know, he, he writes about these kinds of things, does, does the voice actually do sort of kind of active kind of campaigning for um, uh, African-Americans to sign up? Does he sort of engage on that level? So when the United okay. States enters the war, at least uh, officially, uh, in April of 1917, Du Bois is, is faced with a choice. Uh, he was anti-war, uh, at least in principle. He considered himself uh, to be a pacifist, but he also had a deep reverence for the Black military tradition, uh, going back to the American Revolution, uh, certainly the Civil War, he had family members, including uh, his um, uh, his his father, who served a brief stint in the Union Army uh, during the Civil War. So he understood and appreciated, kind of akin to Frederick Douglass before him, this relationship between war, Black military service, and the potential expansion of African American citizenship and the broader expansion of of democracy. When Woodrow Wilson enters the war um, or enters the United States in the war uh, with his grandiose claim that the world must be made safe for democracy, that resonates with Du Bois. Uh, mm. Certainly his understanding of democracy is much different <laughs> than, than Woodrow Wilson, uh, who was a, a white supremacist. Du Bois is thinking about the potential of the war mm. to expand democracy domestically for African-Americans, but also for peoples of African descent more broadly. Um, and this relates back to his, you know, really um, bold and, and at the time radical conception of the color line, the problem of the mm. 20th century being the problem of the color line and thinking about the potential 
of this war uh, to unstabilize, to destabilize uh, the color line and create a moment of possibility for African-Americans and other peoples of African descent to, to state claim to their citizenship more narrowly, but also to, to democracy uh, more broadly. And that's why he makes the very um, the very controversial uh, decision, at least in terms of his own ideals and, and beliefs, um, his own principles uh, to support the war and encourage African-Americans uh, to, to support uh, their country uh, unconditionally. And there's um there's a kind of a moment um that begins with in in early 1917 and I don't know quite how long it lasts for but you know bef- before February 1917 and the Russian revolution you have three imperialist powers fighting two other imperialist powers and nobody nobody is talking about democracy the british are not fighting a war for democracy um 40% of british soldiers didn't have the right to vote because they were working class. Um, and then all of a sudden you have the czarist regime collapse and it's replaced by the provisional government, which possibly might become something liberal and democratic. You never know. And then in April, America joins the war and all of a sudden, and this is led, I think, particularly by British propagandists, there is this kind of, oh, look, we're fighting this war for civilization against barbarism, for democracy and the torture of liberty and all that kind of stuff. And I, I guess it would be possible in that context, if you were someone like Du Bois, to look at all this and go, wow, this is this this is the moment. Mm-hmm. And that kind of takes you to all the way through to, I suppose, to the, uh, the hopes and dreams of the Paris Peace Conference, which mm-hmm. is perhaps where to, to, to look next. The thing I didn't know about him, I mean, the, the, I could write a book about things I didn't know about Du Bois. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> The thing I didn't know about him is he was at the Paris Peace Conference. Um, oh, and there, every time I look at the Paris Peace Conference, there's somebody else there. I think, oh, crikey, I didn't know, didn't know what they were there. Yeah, yeah. And he he was very, I mean, he was a busy guy there, wasn't he? You know, he uh, did a, did a really? lot. <laughs> what was he trying to achieve there? So I think to, to understand the significance of Du Bois being in France, um, you know, an incredible three-month period from December of 1918 to to March of 1919. We have to understand what happened to him during the war um, and how he puts his credibility on the line uh, in supporting the war, but taking it even further by encouraging African-Americans to, as he wrote in arguably his most controversial article in the Crisis Magazine, which he edited, to close ranks. He writes this article, Close Ranks, encouraging Black people to forget their special grievances, to put aside all of their their grievances and protests against Jim Crow, against lynching, uh, against economic uh, exploitation, etc., and to support their country and the allies, making the argument that first your country and then your rights. And this is explosive. Du Bois mm-hmm. is, is criticized like no other moment in his life, his harshest critics accuse him of being a traitor to the race. And for someone like Du Bois, who dedicated his entire life to supporting um, African-American civil rights, to uplifting the race, this was the most harsh criticism that you could could, could levy at him. Mm-hmm. So by the end of the war, Du Bois is in a very precarious position. His credibility is being questioned. His radicalism is being questioned. And he's questioning himself. You know, Was it the correct decision? 
to support this war, given all the criticism um, uh, that that I'm uh, receiving. So he approaches the peace conference as an opportunity to kind of test the validity um, of his decision to support the war. But in addition to that, he's also doing research. Du Bois begins working on a book on the Black experience uh, in the war, and he uses the opportunity of the peace conference to start doing essentially ethnographic field research to talk directly to African-American soldiers and officers and to see for himself just what happened in France and what this war meant. So his time in in France, where he also organizes a a landmark Pan-African Congress, is, is such an important moment in Du Bois's relationship to the history of the war that he begins to write, which is which is the subject of, of, of my book, um, but also making the war no longer abstract. It's very yeah. real for Du Bois at, at this point. He's he's literally going to the camps where, where black soldiers are, are located. He's visiting the battlefields. He's he's standing in the trenches. He's seeing the devastation of the Western Front. And he 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 comes to grips with just this horrific moment um, yeah. in, in the history of, of modernity. Um, and he begins to to um, to reckon uh, with, with the war uh, in a way that would continue uh, really throughout certainly the interwar period and, and throughout his entire life. And that must have been a moment of, of crisis for him. Absolutely. Seeing what yeah. he had advocated for in Up Close and in its full ugliness it, it was it was and Du Bois being the the intellectual that he was um the way that he dealt with with any type of crisis particularly such a deeply personal existential crisis as he was facing when it came to the war was to write about it <laughs> to, to to write a book about it um and and that's what he tried to do um as I write about in my book he devoted over 20 years to to trying to write uh, what would have been the definitive history of the Black experience uh, in the war, this monumental book that he titled The Black Man and the Wounded World. Um, and he he wrote um, 800 pages of, of just really incredible uh, manuscript, but ultimately was not able to, to finish uh, this book. And I think that speaks to really his, his tortured relationship uh, with the war and how he was not able to fully reckon with it on a personal level, but also on an intellectual and political level as well. And was the what what led to him being unable to finish? A, n- a number of factors. Uh, certainly, there were practical considerations. Uh, he was always busy. He was writing other books. Uh, he was involved uh, in a number of, of different issues. Uh, so he was always being distracted with with other projects. Um, he had struggled to get funding. For the project, uh, he applied to pretty much every major philanthropy um, and and foundation for support, uh, and was by and large uh, rejected. They didn't see the value of of his book, uh, its popular uh, appeal, but also um, the arguments that he was making uh, in the book as well were deemed too too radical or, or controversial. But ultimately, it was Du Bois himself uh, who was the problem when it came to to completing his book. He had to accept the harsh reality that the war was a failure Hmm. uh, and that his support for the war was a failure, especially by World War II. Um, And he 
comes to 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 the harsh realization that there's no audience for his book, given the state um, of the world, that the lessons of the First World War had not uh, been heeded. Um, and uh, that was what was ultimately uh, what, what caused him uh, to uh, to give up on trying mm. to defend and publish his book. The war was a subject matter that was too disillusioning, uh, too tragic uh, for even Du Bois uh, to, to fully uh, comprehend and to mm. fully write it. And it's almost as if I get the sense that the war and Du Bois' support for it and then that realisation of seeing the trenches and then the attempt to write the history of the war is one of the kind of like the, the central crises of his life. It really is. And this this was a an experience, as I write about in my book, that transformed Du Bois on so many different levels. Uh, certainly on a personal level, politically, intellectually. As I argue in my book, we can't understand Du Bois's growth. We can't understand his evolution over the course of the 20th century without understanding his relationship to the First World War and his struggles to write about it. When we talk about Du Bois, as we began our conversation in 1963, by this time, he's an uncompromising radical peace activist. Mm -hmm. uh, in the 1950s, the federal government tries to put him in jail. 1951, he's indicted um, on charges of being an agent um, of a foreign principal because of his anti-war activities. Um, and that is really the beginnings um, of his you know, reckoning uh, with the United States and ultimately uh, his decision to leave the United States all altogether. Um, we can't understand Du Bois's evolution into a radical peace activist without understanding how the First World War and its failure drove him to that point. Yeah. Um, so as I argue uh, in my book, the First World War is so much more about just the book that Du Bois was trying to write. It's about understanding him um, and his political um, and, and ideological evolution, but also understanding his place in the broader struggle hmm. for African-American citizenship and, and freedom uh, in the 20th century. I think I'm just on one one final thought is that I, I think the value of a book like the one the one that you've written is is that it presents the intellectual not as a static entity. You know, again, if you compare him to another another 20th century intellectual, let's go back to the example of George Orwell. Uh, George Orwell, of course, if you read his uh, any biography of him, is on is on a, a journey of ideas throughout his life. And most people who, or most, well, all people really are are uh, on some some kind of intellectual journey. But for the public intellectual, some of the positions that they start off with are very very different from where where they end up. And I think it's it's examining that intellectual journey that's that's kind of the the the, the real heart of the book that you've uh, that you've written there right right i wanted to present du bois as as a human <laughs> i wanted to humanize him uh, in a way that i think um a lot of writings about du bois have not have not fully done um to recognize his his greatness his his brilliance uh, but also uh his his flaws um to to recognize the ways in which uh, he was very problematic uh, in his dealings with um, other people um, and, and dealing with him himself, being truly honest and forthright with, with himself, um, but also uh, acknowledging that when we think about Du Bois, one of his greatest 
uh, contributions um, to how we think about uh, African-American uh, struggles for civil rights, African-American intellectual history was his capacity for change. Uh, and, and I think um, looking at, at Du Bois in that way provides um, a, a new opportunity to, to really appreciate him uh, in uh, all of his um, all of his brilliance and, and all of his you know messiness as, as well. Well, um, and it's it's the messiness I'm always attracted to, you know. But <laughs> there we must finish, Chad. It's been an honor to talk with you. Um, and uh, the Wounded World is available now in uh, all all good um, retailers. Please, if you're listening to this, try to support an independent retailer. Uh, Amazon have got more money than they can ever spend. But please, please, please buy this book from the independent retailers if you can do. Um, Chad, um, it'd be a pleasure to talk to you again, perhaps on related topics. I hope you'll come back and and, uh, and, and join us again. And thank you so much for your time. It's been wonderful. All right. Thank you. Cool. Take good care. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.